have the words of eternal life. Alleluia. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the eighth chapter. The Jews answered Jesus, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the gospel of our Lord. May the love of the Father, the grace of the Son, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Please be seated. So it is Holy Trinity, and none of the um, the readings are explicitly, you know, Holy Trinity. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, what's actually strange is uh, usually uh, the reading is the baptismal Matthew 28 for Holy Trinity. But it's different this year because uh, we're in the Luke year. And ironically, in the, the Luke year, we're doing a John reading. But everyone loves John. And so we're going to go with it, right? This is one of the better known passages from John. It's a favorite passage for many people when it comes to finding, I guess, what they would call proof texts, where Jesus is claiming to be God. Yet it's perhaps one of the most mysterious passages of the Bible. 
After all, what does it mean for someone to claim, I am? What does it mean when someone asks you a question and you say, I am? What in the world does that mean? It's for this reason uh, that y'all called me uh, to help connect the dots between this text and the larger narrative of Scripture. As you might immediately recognize, this passage connects with the specific Old Testament text in which God reveals his name for the first time to Moses. And it happens in a burning bush. Moses asks God what he should call him while he's out in the desert to the remote places. And God tells him, I am. I will be who I will be. Or I was, I am, and I shall be evermore. Or Yahweh. Jesus then so looks at this crowd of Jews and calls himself the same name by which God in the Old Testament from a burning bush calls himself. I am. And this is why it says Jews picked up stones to throw him or to stone him, but he escaped the temple. He was going to be accused of blasphemy. Now, the historical record shows us that they actually get him on charges of sorcery. But we can revisit that later. What does it mean for God to say, I am, to a crowd of people? Often, when we make the jump from the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, to the New Testament, or if you are like a Bible nerd and you know about the Old Testament translation that was already translated into Greek, you might know that Yahweh is often translated as Lord. And when you look in your scriptures, it even might say Lord in all capital letters. Whenever you see that in the Old Testament, it means that it says in Hebrew, Yahweh, or the divine name, the same name spoken from the burning bush. Greek often translates this as Lord, and so Jesus and the apostles and the writers of the New Testament, when they refer to Yahweh, they call him Lord. The one who rules, the one who rules over all things. We didn't get to Psalm 8 today. It was appointed for today. I encourage you to check out Psalm 8. It's where we get the language of all things being put underneath Jesus' feet as his footstool, as Lord of all things. But isn't that weird that all of a sudden, sometime during the Gospel of Luke, all throughout John and in other places in the Gospel, and of course in the epistles that follow after, all of a sudden Jesus is called Lord. The same name that refers to Yahweh, God, 
of the Old Testament who led his people out of slavery in Egypt and so on. This is where we need to connect the dots a little bit more for the narrative. Why is God Lord? Why is he I am? Because he is the creator. Um, As some people say, creator, which I think sounds more epic. Here we would do well to remember that in scripture, the title God is not a reference to an abstract deity or a philosophical concept of an ultimate being or anything like that. It is always rooted in a narrative. The name God is always rooted in a story, a greater story that is bigger than the smaller one you're reading or hearing. What defines God in the narrative of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is that God is a creator. To put it bluntly, we can draw a very easy, deliberate line in Scripture between two things. If you created everything, you are God. If you did not create everything, you are not God. And this is a hard concept for many people to grasp and deal with throughout their lives as their seasons of life change, as when they thought they had control over everything, it starts to slip through their hands as sand particles and as they face their mortality. I didn't create everything. I can't create anything from nothing. I'm not God. And so let's get back to Jesus. Jesus tells that crowd of Jews, I am the creator. Consider how the very Gospel of John opens. You probably remember this from Christmas time. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So to confess, to say back to God what he says to us, that Jesus is God, is to confess that he is creator of all things. And for this reason, he rules all things. It's his, you know, Uh, What do you mean? I made it, he might say. Jesus created all things. He is above all things, and he holds all things together. I can't nail this into your understanding more. What do you say when you make the pizza and people are eating too many slices? I made it. Leave some for me, right? And so this brings us to that discussion in John 8. The divine creator, this incomprehensible trinity, three in one, one in three, known only as God to all peoples, he chose to humble himself and take on human flesh like you. 
so that not only he could know what it's like to be you, to experience your pain, even to die like you will have to die one day, but to also stand by you as your paraclete, your helper and your advocate, your counselor, your friend, so that you could understand him. He became a human creature, the creator of all things. But how is it possible that this man is the I am? the creator of the entire universe. How is he standing here in front of this crowd of people? Everyone knew he was only in his fourth decade of life. He was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, and what good can come out of Nazareth? And so we encounter the mystery of the incarnation. Jesus can say, He is, I am, the creator, because he is the person, the son of God who took on human flesh. The one who is speaking to these people is the second person of the Trinity. Creator of all things, who is there from the beginning, yet he speaks through his human nature as a man. Very confusing. Lovely, divine, mysterious. Just how I like it. And so the one who created us now redeems us. Or put another way, the one who has redeemed us is also the one who created us in all things. So we confess, we say back to God together that Jesus is our Lord, Yahweh. That is, he is both our creator and our redeemer. He's one and the same. The Holy Spirit was also there in the beginning. And was an agent of creation. You see all three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Together as God. Creating, redeeming, and also sanctifying. Making holy. Jesus says something very strange and mysterious to this crowd of Jews. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it. And was glad. So what did Abraham do? Did he look down from heaven? Did he receive a vision? How did he see it? How did he see it and be glad? No. He remembered that same promise of a Messiah, a Christ, promised to his first parents, Adam and Eve, that a son would crush the serpent's head. And he believed God. And God counted that simple faith as righteousness. The same way that our simple faith of a Jesus Christ that we have not seen with our own eyes, yet believe in him. The writer of Hebrews draws attention to this Old Testament father's faith. He writes, 
These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. But they saw them from a distance. They greeted them and confessed together that they were foreigners and temporary residents on this earth. Meaning, I recognize my time on this earth is limited. I'm a stranger here. I'm unlike others. I know my home is with Christ in his kingdom. I am his. I will do his work. And so, in your baptism, in the baptism that you saw today, we look forward in faith to an eternal life that is our promise received now in real water, in God's real word, joined together in the holy sacrament of baptism, where it now saves you by the washing not of dirt from the body, but for a clean conscience before God. It isn't an empty promise. It's one delivered upon Jesus' death on the cross for our sins and his glorious resurrection on the third day. It gives, it bestows a new life that we get to participate in now by his spirit in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.